What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist? Done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want? Or at least avoid the lightning bolt? Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused. But at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God. The God who spoke the universe into creation, who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him. In the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God? Well, good morning. As you know, there's always a lot of things going on in our church family. If you have your worship guide with you, a few of those things are highlighted right there. You can also go to Highlights, which is a printed publication uh, that will clue you in on all things happening in the First Baptist family life. But I want to draw your attention just to three of those things. The first is Judson Day. Judson Day is a special opportunity for our Burmese congregations uh, to celebrate the work of missionary Adoram Judson in Burma. Uh, their Christian heritage goes back to him. And so they set aside a day a year uh, to celebrate that. And they've invited us to come in and celebrate with them. That's this afternoon from five to seven right in here. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Also, as many of you know, we are collecting school supplies to fill backpacks for students in our communities. And you can do that through the 29th. Uh, there is a, uh, a bin in Great Hall um, that you can get those things and bring and put them there. But we want to be a blessing to our community and provide school supplies for kids who need them. Lastly, main event. Uh, main event is when we encourage and equip all leaders in our church family, directors, teachers, other lay leaders, people interested in leadership in our church family. It's August 4th from 6 to 9 p.m. And so you come be a part of that. In fact, I'll say if you are a director or a teacher in a small group Bible study, you are expected to be there. Uh, you need to be there. And we hope that you will and take advantage of that opportunity for, for further equipping and encouragement. Well, again, let me just say, welcome. And hopefully already your time in worship and prayer has been meaningful and that you are ready to receive God's word today. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at First Baptist Church. And if you're new with us today, let me just say I'm delighted that you're here. We know it's a big deal to come to a brand new place. Maybe you're new in town. Maybe you're trying to find a new place of worship. Maybe you're trying to figure out who this Jesus is and you're here and we're grateful that you're here. You can let us know uh, that you are here by going going to fbcsa.org slash connect. It's the simplest way to say, hey, I worshiped with you today, and it gives us a chance to connect with you at a later time. Our mission is to faithfully follow our Lord Jesus Christ and lead all others in a joyful life with him. You know, we're not perfect at all of that. We're still in process as individuals and as a church family, but that is our heartbeat, that God, by the power of his spirit, 
would cultivate that kind of mission and that we would be in the business of fulfilling that mission by the work of his spirit and by the work of his grace. We ask you also to continue to give through this church family. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give to further what God is doing through the mission that God's given this church family. And so, as you know, or perhaps you don't know, we are in a series on prayer. Uh, We've been with Jesus, we've been with Paul, and we're back with Paul again today in Ephesians chapter three. So if you have a copy, a hard copy of God's word or on a device, if you would go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter three, we're gonna be in verses 13 uh, through 21 today high centering on verses 14 through 19. And if you would honor God's word by standing and let's read those verses, verses 14 through 21 together. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we believe those verses that you can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Lead us with that kind of faith to come to you in prayer. And as we read Paul's prayer over us today, May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and feet to move. Help us and teach us to pray. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word as we read it together. Paul starts off in verse 14. The New Living Translation says, when I think of all this, if you're reading from the English Standard Version, it says, for this reason. And so the first question we really wanna answer this morning as we get into Paul's prayer over us is what's the reason for his prayer? What is all this? And we don't have to go too far or too long in Ephesians to figure out why Paul is pausing in the middle of this letter to pray. Aren't you thankful that we have record of prayers in the Bible? That it's not just we are told, go pray. We actually have examples of prayer. When the apostles asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, he gave them a, a model prayer, and then we have Jesus's prayer, and here we have Paul's prayer. It's a work of grace that we can read a prayer that it might teach us 
and encourage us to do the same. But why does Paul pray in the middle of this letter? Well, we have some very important clues. I just want to mention a few of them. The first is, is that Paul has just spent much of the first three chapters reflecting on the revelation of Jesus in that he now is not just redeeming the people of Israel, but has a plan to redeem the whole world. Those who didn't know the covenant of God through Israel, those who have no experience with the law of God, that part of the heart and plan of God from the very beginning, we know that, but in the revelation of Jesus that he was gonna make a way for even the Gentiles to be made right with God, to know forgiveness and purpose and everlasting life. We see this in verses six and seven of chapter three. And Paul writes, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. And so Paul has been celebrating in the life of these Gentile believers, mostly in the church of Ephesus and other churches in the Gentile world, of what God has done in them. The apostle Peter would say it like this, there was a time you weren't a people and now you're the people of God. And then Paul says also, and it's to that movement of God to redeem the whole world, to remake the whole world, to restore the whole world, even the Gentiles equally, Jew and Gentile, he says, I have given my life completely and totally to it. So one of the reasons, or two of the reasons is, one, Paul is completely enamored with God's eternal plan to rescue the whole world. And secondly, he says, and I've given my life to that movement. That's why I'm gonna pause and pray right now. I'm caught up in that. I want you to know that. I want you to feel that reality of God's love through Jesus, that you too, who were not a people, are now the people of God. But that's not else. That's not the only thing. It's the only reason. We see in verse 13, he says this. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here or his imprisonment. He says, I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. So the last reason and the most practical reason for Paul is that I don't want you to lose heart. I mean, you have to kind of feel this, right? Their spiritual father, Paul, is imprisoned for this gospel truth, this revelation of Jesus Christ for the whole world whom he's given his whole life to. Jesus, the very king of the world, the messianic king who would fulfill all the promises and prophecies of the Hebrew scriptures. Their spiritual father's in prison. And you can imagine that they too have begun to feel some resistance to the outside world of this message of the gospel as they were distancing themselves from the messages of the world, they were clinging to Jesus and they were beginning to feel heat and they see Paul and hear of Paul in prison, you can imagine that there are some doubts that are coming to the service. They're probably asking, is this the real thing? Have I given myself to the truth? I mean, if Jesus is 
everything that he says he is. If he's the son of God, then why is Paul in prison? Wouldn't the son of God protect his servants? And so there's probably a lot of doubt bubbling to the top. Have you guys ever felt that kind of way? I felt that way. And so Paul pauses in the middle of glorying in the gospel, aware that they know that he is in prison and their faith is young and fragile. He says, I'm gonna stop and pray right now because I don't want you to lose heart. When life starts getting really difficult, Because you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to hold on. I don't want you to lose heart. I want you to have the kind of strength and fortitude in your heart to hold on to the love of Jesus, hold on to Christ. He doesn't want them to abandon this great movement of God's kingdom over all the earth, so he prays. How does he pray? How does he pray? In verse 16, Paul writes... Let's back up to verse 15, 14. He says, when I think of all this, those are the reasons, he says, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. There's a, there's a posture to Paul's praying reverence and fear of the Lord, knowing he has nowhere else to go to fulfill these requests. In verse 15, it says, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. There again, we see this beautiful picture of God redeeming not just the Jewish people, but every name under heaven is, is under God's creative work. All are to be included in Christ. And then verse 16, he says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, what a beautiful picture, that there's no limit to what God can do because he is rich in mercy and grace. It's unlimited. He never says to us, you, you have, you, have you, you know those little reward cards or whatever, you, you have like 10 times to come to me and then you're done. This is, You can come to me. I'm unlimited in my resources. Come to me in prayer with that kind of posture. And then he says, I pray for his glorious unlimited resource. He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So the first thing that Paul prays is that through God's unlimited resources, I pray for inner strength that will only come to you by the work of the spirit of God. So he prays for Holy Spirit power that God would make us strong of heart, the kind of heart that doesn't lose heart, a strong faith in Jesus. In fact, he describes that kind of heart in another way. In verse 17, he says, then Christ, with that kind of heart, will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. That kind of spiritual recharged heart That strong heart by his spirit is the kind of heart that Jesus takes residence in. And Paul's referring to that gospel kind of heart that has deep fellowship with God through Christ or peace and contentment through Jesus. You know, Jesus said something similar in John 14 Uh, verse 23, when Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples. Listen to this when it talks about the love of God and the Father dwelling with us. Jesus replied to a question from Judas. He says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. What a beautiful picture. 
of God through Christ taking residence in our heart by faith and the empowering of the spirit of God. Paul says, that's what I want. I want you to be at peace with God. I want you to have kind of strength and fortitude of heart where it's like Jesus just takes residence in your heart. Makes his home in your heart. And that becomes a reality because of the work of the Spirit. The truth is, is that most of us have really dull hearts. Um, We are easily captivated by other things rather than being captivated by Jesus, right? Or the love of God, which we're gonna get to in a moment. So this morning, I was driving down the highway and my thoughts usually, well, I have multiple thoughts. It's one, I've got to order tacos. So I get on the phone, order tacos. And then it's a moment and a time for me to really think through sermon stuff. And then lo and behold, you know what sign I see on the road? And I know y'all have seen this too. How many of y'all have seen the Mega Millions jackpot sign? How much is it right now? $900 million. My heart is so dull and easily captivated by other things that I started thinking about the mega millions and all that I would do with it if I won the jackpot. (laughs) Have y'all ever done that? Maybe just a few of you. But our hearts are so easily just turned away, right? We get so bent out of shape and so captivated by other things. And Paul is saying, no, I... You can't change the bentedness of your heart and the affections of your heart. You have to have the Holy Spirit to do it. You you can't do this kind of work on your own because your hearts get so dull so quickly, so moved, bent out of shape so quickly. The only one who can renovate your heart, recharge your heart, restore your heart is the Spirit of God. And Paul says, that's who I'm praying to to get that kind of work done. Holy Spirit. It's the work of God's Holy Spirit. That kind of strong heart that Paul is praying for isn't something we manufacture. It's not something we make for ourselves. We can only renovate our hearts through the work of the Spirit of God. But as Paul moves into that prayer, or further into that prayer, he first prays for the power of God to do that kind of heart, to renovate the heart to where it becomes a home for Christ. Essentially, what Paul identifies for us is that the, the Christian journey, the Christian life, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you said, yes, I'm gonna follow this man, I, I believe that he's the son of God, I, I recognize that he died for my sin and rose victorious over sin and death so that I can be forgiven and have everlasting life and real purpose in life, Paul recognizes that that kind of Christian life, that kind of person is a journey that grows deeper and deeper into the love of God. That's how he's praying. Let me finish that portion of the prayer in verse 17, the latter part of verse 17. Your roots, by the power of the Spirit of God, Christ will make his home in your hearts and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And so the way that the Spirit of God keeps us strong is by sinking our roots, that beautiful image that Pastor Jimmy had up there, this 
deep, sprawling roots that keep a tree stable. No matter, no matter what comes its way, it's gonna remain stable. Those kind of deep roots, stability only comes from growing deep into the love of God. And when Paul talks about the love of God, when he says, I want you to sink your roots deep into the love of God by the power of the Spirit of God, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the gospel. Now, I want y'all to hear Paul's heart when he starts talking about the gospel and what it is. I want y'all to hear this. I'm gonna back up to Ephesians chapter two. Now, just listen, resonate with Paul's heart. I'm gonna read verses four through 10. These are some very well-known verses. Are you ready? But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. I want you to grow deep your roots deep into God's love. God loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, Paul would say in Romans that we were even enemies, but even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ so God can point to us in all future ages, ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us. You're united with Christ Jesus. Verse eight, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Listen, talk about being bent out of shape. Paul is bent out of shape, of the shape because of the reality and the goodness and the richness of the gospel. He says, if you're gonna have strong hearts, the Holy Spirit is gonna have to help your roots grow deep into that. That when you are an enemy of God, you, you, all of us, have been fully committed to walk away from the wisdom and ways of God, to go our own way. We were enemies of God. We were so, such enemies of God that we were dead in our sin. Paul says, but now in Jesus, we are made alive in Christ because of his great mercy for us. That's the love of God. It's because he loved us. The only way we're gonna grow up in Jesus, the only way we're gonna have that kind of strong inner fortitude in this life that no matter what comes our way and how the world disdains us and hates us because we follow Jesus, that's what Jesus said about the world. He said, the world will hate you as it hated me. He says the only way you're gonna get through that kind of world is to have that kind of strong heart and the only way you're gonna have that kind of strong heart is to sink your roots deep into the gospel of Jesus, the love of God. The apostle John said it like this in 1 John 4, 9, God showed how much he loved us. How? by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Folks, we never graduate from the gospel. You don't, you don't start with the gospel and then move into deeper and deeper things. The deep things of God is the gospel of God. 
that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The result of that kind of Holy Spirit, supercharged, restored, renovated heart that doesn't lose heart, he tells us in verse 19. Let's actually read verse 18 as well. And may you have the power to understand all God's, as all God's people should, that's his church, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. We just read all about that. Verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Then, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul's aim for them and for us and for his church is to know and experience the fullness of God through the love of God. What I believe that Paul is addressing here or what he means for us when he talks about fullness is that the gospel frees us and his church to be fully ourselves. There's some irony here because the world's message to us is that you determine yourself by the self. You find it inside and it comes out. Paul says the only way we know God's fullness, the only way we can know ourselves fully and all that we were designed to be is by experiencing and trusting and loving the gospel, by knowing the love of God deeply, the height and width and depth of the love of God. The gospel frees us to be fully ourselves, fearlessly and freely loving God and others, everything he made us to be. A professor of mine would say that God redeems us so that we can know what it means to be fully human for the very first time. I mean, the world has us convinced that to be human is to be whatever you wanna be, the message of the gospel is that if you want to be fully human and everything that he's made you to be uniquely in his image, to be image bearers over all the earth, you have to come by way of Jesus. And you have to be restored to that kind of life. And so the fullness of God is, is freely being ourselves in Jesus, being free to love God and to fearlessly love others. When a son knows and experiences the love of his dad, just in normal life in a family, when a son knows and experiences the love of his dad where there's full acceptance and complete security, it's in that kind of fertile soil that a boy can freely grow into a mature, strong, and wise man. There's security and there's love it doesn't mean that the father lets the son do whatever he wants, no, but it's in that, that fertile soil of love and acceptance and security, that relationship between father and son, that the son can grow up and be fully mature and strong, emotionally and spiritually. That's the kind of love that provides the space for fullness and completeness. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. I want you to know 
the depth and width and height of that kind of love that frees you, gives you the kind of space for you to be who you're always designed to be, which is to know and have fellowship with God and to love others sacrificially in the same way that Jesus did it. So you're not gonna get there any way else other than your roots growing deep into love of God. Listen, the word of God makes abundantly clear that if we don't have love, we don't have anything. We've got nothing. You can be the smartest person in the room, the richest person in the room, the most popular person in the room, but without love, we've got nothing. Paul says, I'm praying that by the spirit of God, that you have the kind of heart that is strong and its roots have sunk deep into the love of God so that you can be everything that I've made you to be and you can fearlessly follow after me regardless of the world does. There's another component of being full in God or experiencing the fullness of God that knowing and experiencing that kind of love that Paul is praying for produces a kind of fearless living. Not reckless living, but fearless Living, I think the Apostle John gives us a clue as to what he means by this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. This whole chapter is about the love of God, but let me read these verses. Verse 14, further, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we put our trust in his love. That sounds like sinking roots deep, right? Then he says this, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Verse 17, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. When we sink our roots deep by the power of the Spirit of God into the height, depth, and width of the love of God, there is a freedom to live fearlessly. Listen, how would you live? How would we live if you take judgment and the wrath of God off the table? And the answer the Apostle John is if you take, when you take judgment and the threat of death off the table because of the work of God's grace in Jesus, then you can freely live fearlessly in a world, in a world that would say, I would take your life. That's why Paul would say things like this. For me, to, living is all about Jesus and dying is gain. Paul says, I can be all in. I can live fearlessly in the love of God and loving others freely and fearlessly because there's no threat of death for me. Death doesn't scare me because I have eternal life in God. And the fullness of God is participating in and knowing that kind of freedom and fearlessness. Let me ask you a question. This morning, has the love of God freed you to be more of who he's called you to be? Has the love of God freed us to love others fearlessly? Or is there parts of your life to where you feel like I'm still in bondage? 
I mean, I, I am terrified about what other people think about me. I'm terrified about what my classmates think about me. I'm hesitant to talk about Jesus here. I don't, living for Jesus here would mean this. It could cost me my job. It would cost me my, my reputation. Do you feel like you can freely and fearlessly follow Jesus regardless of the cost? Paul is saying, listen, Ephesians, listen, FBCSA, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit's strength, that you will live and love knowing the fullness of God freely and fearlessly in this world until I return. I don't want anything holding you back from loving God and loving others, even if it means you get thrown in prison threat of death or threat of reputation, will you sink your roots deep so that you can love like that? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this prayer. It teaches us how to pray. Help us to pray for one another like that. Our sons and daughters like that, our friends like that, our church family like that, that we would grow deep in the love of the gospel so that we can live fearlessly and freely in you and for you. Lord, bless this moment as we move into a time of response. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.